My name's Tiffany. And I'm Wendy. And welcome to Rogue and Wicked. driving down the road I think it w- I was in Buena Township and um, there was this random sign like this tiny little sign on the side of the road like in front of somebody's house and it was the size of like one of those little for sale signs that you see it's like something that you totally miss driving at 50 miles an hour past there you know I saw it and it said who killed Tiffany Valiante and I was like I don't know who did kill Tiffany Valiante and then I went down the rabbit hole and I discovered a ton of shit and this amazing awful mystery I think that it needed some attention because their family apparently has been trying to find out answers for seven years and nobody has been able to give them any answers so I'm going to jump right into it. Tiffany Valiante was a six foot two star athlete who had accepted a volleyball scholarship to Mercer College in New York after graduating from Oakcrest High School in Mays Landing, New Jersey. Aside from volleyball, she also had a love for softball and other sports. She played for the Lady A's travel softball team and one year of Oak Crest softball until she had found a love for volleyball. She played middle hitter and was playing for the Oak Crest High School and East Coast Crush Club Volleyball. She was also a typical teenager who, you know, she was excited to start her first semester in college at the end of the summer. She was ranked 8th in the state for the number of volleyball kills, and in one high school season, she had 279 kills and 39 blocks. So, you know, it's safe to say she was a badass and really skilled in her passions. And athletic as could be, huh? Oh, yeah. And I mean, at 6'2", she was like probably one of the tallest players on the team. Mm-hmm. She had a dog named Tucker, two sisters, and a nephew, and two godchildren. She came from a large family and had many aunts and uncles, cousins, and other extended family. Her parents described her as happy and an outgoing teenager. On the night of July 12, 2015, she was invited to her cousin's graduation party. She decided to leave the party at approximately 9.30 p.m. and went home. The last sighting of Tiffany was when when she was standing in her driveway arguing with her mother about using a friend's debit card without her permission. Her mother became frustrated with Tiffany and went in to get her father. When they returned, Tiffany was gone. Of course, they figured she was pissed off and went back to the party to blow off some steam, but after an hour, they realized that Tiffany still had not returned home, so they contacted some of her friends to see if she had gone back to that party. 
Her friends told her parents that she had never returned that night. The family gathered some friends and formed a small search party to look for Tiffany. One of the family members found Tiffany's cell phone at the edge of the yard, which really concerned her family because, let's face it, no teenager leaves without their phone unless, you know, they get a little tipsy and drop it or something, you know. Mm -hmm. Approximately 11.30 p.m., one of Tiffany's family members noticed flashing patrol lights near his home a few miles away. He drove over to the police and asked what was going on. He was informed that a young woman was hit by a train. He flew like a bat out of hell back to the house to tell her parents, you know, what he had just been told. And they drove over there with the quickness to see if indeed it was their daughter. And I can't imagine that feeling of knowing that your daughter is missing and seeing that. I know. I, I can't either. Especially... I just, the anxiety before knowing about this accident, just having, you know, the amount of guilt that led her out of the house in the first place. And and then to hear that would be just overwhelming as a parent. Oh, I bet. I mean, I just, I know the pit of your stomach must feel like sour, twisty, like just going there to see if your child had been killed. And then, yeah, of course, the survivor's guilt aspect of it, you know? Exactly. Well, when they arrived minutes later, they identified that it was Tiffany Valiante's body that had been on the tracks. The train was traveling at 80 miles per hour and the conductor of the train said that he laid the horn when he saw a young girl standing on the tracks. That she did not move, she just stood there and then he hit her. The medical examiner ruled the death a suicide 48 hours after Tiffany's death because he didn't see any signs indicating that it was anything other than that. She didn't have any shorts on and she had shorts on when she left the party. She was found in her underwear, and I'll explain how she was found later. She also did not have any shoes on. Her blood toxicology report said that she did not have any drugs or alcohol in her system either. Her family was in disbelief because they said that she was a happy teen and was so excited to go to college, and that it didn't make sense that she would end up, you know, just committing suicide for no apparent reason. Especially after a small debacle. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like... I mean... <laughs> I know kids are stole all the time. Like my best friend, she was she was a Christian pastor's daughter and she stole from a from a store in the mall, you know, like it happens. Kids act out, you know, especially when they're going through teenage problems. Yeah, that's it seems like a profound fatalistic approach. Um, taken on Diane's deer camera in her front yard, a photo showed Tiffany walking fully dressed. After she was deceased, her shorts were never found, not until later. At the time she was caught on the camera, she had her shorts headband and shoes on. Tiffany's parents, grief-stricken and looking for answers, walked the path from the driveway in May's Landing to the tracks in Galloway, looking for evidence of what had happened in those two hours their daughter was missing. Her mother discovered Tiffany's shoes and headband on the side of the road in the bushes during a morning walk alone and about a mile from the house. They were sitting there under the bushes as if somebody had taken them off and left them side by side two weeks after her death and a mile from her home. The pressure from the family and the town for their quick judgment, the police brought in tracking dogs to retrace Tiffany's steps that night. The police made a map of where the dogs tracked her scent and figured that she left the house Manheim Ave, turned right onto Drosera Ave, turned left onto Wrangleboro Road, and then turned left onto Genoa Ave, and then left onto the rail line and was struck by the train right past Prague Ave. This is four miles from her home and almost in a giant circle. 
The terrain was rough, especially walking with bare feet. From where her shoes were found, she would have had to walk three miles barefoot. This is in the Pine Barrens, okay? So this is rough terrain, and it's dark. And when I say dark, I'm talking pitch black. There's no street lights. You can't see your own hand in front of your face when it's nighttime there. And I know that because I drive that, that way. You are like on edge the whole time you're in your car because you're afraid you're going to run over a deer the whole time because you can't see shit at nighttime down there. Mm-hmm. And we're talking to Pine Barrens. This so, is the place where the Jersey Devil lives. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Well, beyond then their testament of her not having any drugs or alcohol in her system, um, did they check to see if she'd been raped or sexually assaulted? If there were any DNA found on her? It's funny you ask that question because I'm going to get to that also. Believe Ooh, me, okay. I got a lot of... I bet you have tons of questions and I had so oh, many I, questions. Oh, I do. There are so many in my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, and the, I'm going to get to them. So just hold on okay. to your... Hold on to your panties because we're about to go for a ride right now. (laughs) All right. Awesome. The autopsy was completed 48 hours after she had passed on. Here's what the autopsy said. And yes, I found the autopsy online. Tiffany Valiante's body had extensive crushing injuries covering the entire body. Multiple organs were recovered from the scene and collected in separate bags. There were fractures to all extremities. All extremities have been amputated. Identification was completed by Tiffany's uncle, Michael Valiante, but no recognition of visible features were possible, meaning he couldn't possibly identify it as her, aside from like maybe the clothing, because she was completely unrecognizable. Her face was completely crushed by this train, which means her skull was crushed. Mm -hmm. She was recovered with no personal property or clothing. Her body was crushed and in pieces. Her face was completely crushed. The medical examiner concluded that the cause of death was multiple traumatic injuries and ruled it a suicide. The Valiante's attorney hired Donald Jason, who was a pathologist and former medical examiner, to go over Tiffany's report. He was pissed, and I don't blame him. And he argued that investigators rushed to judgment when concluding that Tiffany had committed suicide before their work had even begun, meaning investigating it as a homicide, possibly. It had only been six days after the investigation to rule her death a suicide. Donald Jason wrote in his report, This apparently unnatural death was treated with the assumption that the death was not due to a crime. This bias negatively affected the way in which the scene was processed by all members of the team, both responding police and medical examiner staff. Now, the area had significant amounts of rain in those four days. It was said that it had gotten over four inches of rain during that time, so any real evidence would have been damaged from weather conditions including the trail that the dogs walked. I know that the police see what they see in that situation, and I understand that it looks like a suicide, but every case should be treated like a homicide when family members say that their son or daughter isn't suicidal, or at least just investigate it as maybe, maybe a potential homicide, especially... I was going to say, whether whether it be a suicide or homicide or a straight accident, I think they should weigh everything out before coming to a conclusion and that they expedited that entirely too fast. Oh, yeah. You're going you're gonna to be so pissed off 
li- listening to this. Especially, I'm already pissed off. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's going to get worse because I was like screaming at the computer. Like I was so I was so angry. Especially when it when common sense tells you that a girl walking four miles through heavily wooded areas would probably have dirty feet. Right. I mean, and there's no room for incompetence with a mourning parent. No. You know, you've got to weigh out all measures and make sure that you know while this parent is going through guilt remorse and the loss of their child that all ends are covered at least for the sake of them at the very least for their closure oh yeah i i concur (laughs) new jersey transit officers did collect some evidence at the scene but they stored the evidence in paper bags with plastic bags over the paper bags so guess what happened Mold grew inside of the evidence of bags. Course. And moisture-induced bacteria contamination. Now yeah. the evidence is useless. Unbelievable. Yeah. Good job, people. When, Good job. What year was this? 2015. So they had, no doubt, protocols for such a thing that they obviously didn't implement. Exactly. It was bad. Unreal. Mm-hmm. So this was discovered by an independent lab, and the report was released by a forensic specialist hired by the family. Dr. Julie A. Heinig reported they were only able to get very use- little usable DNA and all other evidence was contaminated. Heinig said other pieces of evidence were improperly logged and were not labeled with the individuals who handled them, causing problems maintaining the chain of custody. She said that initialing the evidence is an industry standard. So they do this, they're supposed to do this with everything. They didn't even initial the bags to say like, I touched this bag, nothing. They weren't even labeled. Also, this made me so fucking mad. Tiffany's blood from her blood card could only be identified using a paternity test because that also was improperly preserved. Some of the evidence had been outdoors exposed to the elements for a few weeks prior to even being collected. The t-shirt was completely useless because that piece of evidence was stored in a plastic bag and tied in a knot. Mold grew inside of the bag and destroyed any evidence on the t-shirt. And here's what really pissed me off. This was a potential murder weapon, okay? Potential doesn't mean that it actually was, but when the family won a court order to get this evidence tested, aside from the contaminated evidence, they received a photo of an axe found near the scene that had red markings on it. Could it have been blood? Well, who knows? Because New Jersey Transit lost the fucking axe. They lost Holy the fucking axe. Holy shit. Holy shit. They lost and the her, fucking axe. And her body was dismembered, so there'd be no way to discern between a train and an axe. A right. I mean, it could be, it could be both, really. Exactly. Another thing, too, is that you said it was late at night, and I think I recall you saying it was 80 miles an hour. So seeing somebody at your 12 o'clock at night going 80 miles an hour, I can't imagine that conductor could see shit. Even with that headlight on the front of the train, I, well, you'll, you're going to hear some shit about that, too. I'll, okay, all yeah. right. But it, but it does seem like it'd be a difficult thing to do. I mean, it'd be flash, she was there, and then she's not. Not to mention, you. And I mean... I don't know. I mean, when we're driving, it's not not to say that this is safe, but I think that the majority of us go into a state of autopilot. Yeah. And that's without tracks. 
you know, that's, that's, you know, that's with a preconceived notion that we have to stop if somebody cuts us off or, you know, if anyone around us looks like they're in disarray, we have to be able to avoid them. Whereby on a, on a, in a train, you know, you, the most you can do is honk your, um, not horn. What is it? <laughs> well, it's a um, train horn. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, there's not much that they can do to prevent an accident the way that you can driving. So I can only surmise that it is highly possible that a conductor looks away quite often while I would think so. Being, but I'll tell you more about yeah. that. We got I got information about that too. So Okay, okay. That's a big ass piece of evidence to lose. How do you lose an axe? I could see something like a cell phone, but a fucking axe? That infuriated me and all shitty police work infuriates me, but this is a potential murder weapon. Like I said, I'm not saying that it is or it isn't, but there's a photo of it with red markings on it, and there's not a lot of things that cause red markings on an axe aside from blood. Without jumping to conclusions, just logical common sense would tell you that that could possibly be blood on there. And the original medical examiner, Andrew Falzon, no, I think it's Falzon, F-A-L-Z-O-N. Yeah, let's go with Falzon. So Andrew Falzon made a ruling in 2018 that he was going to back up his previous ruling in 2015, that she had died by suicide. They had no acknowledgement that the authorities at all levels of government even received the case, but it was definitely sent to all levels of government to examine it. Tiffany's case was featured in a 2017 New Jersey advanced media investigation that revealed systemic problems in how New Jersey investigates suspicious deaths, from conflicts of interest into investigations to breakdowns in how evidence is handled, and according to NJ.com, also, Governor Phil Murphy and lawmakers said that they were preparing for a huge overhaul of the entire system. Well, of course, because now they're being pressured by this grossly mishandled case. The medical examiner didn't conclude that it was murder, but I read that her skull had been mangled as if she had been killed with an axe prior to being on the tracks that night. So they wouldn't even have been able to tell anyway, which we were just talking about, because the state of her body was in such disarray, like with the blunt force trauma and the cuts and the dismemberment and the organs missing, that how could you possibly come to an, a definite answer that it was a suicide and not an inconclusive or a undetermined death? Because you can't definitively prove without a reasonable, without any kind of reasonable non-suspicion of the fact that she had probably gotten or could have, just could have been attacked prior to this. Aside from like, I know they're looking for the basic shit, like strangulation and like broken capillaries in the eyes and, and all those things that would indicate like some kind of other method of death. But if it was bludgeoning, there would be no way they could tell as long as she was still alive prior, uh, like moments before she was hit by the train. Right. Because her blood still would have been pumping through her veins at that point. So that just, I really don't believe that you could, you could conclusively say that. So, but whatever. What do I it's know? I'm not a medical examiner. It's wild that, you know, three years hence it happening that these things, these 
notions even came to fruition. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they it's almost like a cold case file. They opened it back up. Well, they only been opening it back up because her parents' lawyer has been like on their ass trying to get answers for the family, you know? For a long time. And the parents too, like they've been fighting. So I was thinking about what I'm about to say, you know, before I even got to this point in my re- research, but I kept saying to myself, was she raped? Was there any mm-hmm. evidence of rape? Mm-hmm. You know, she was found well, with her why, shorts on. Exactly. And, you know, with her having walked through the woods barefoot, yeah. there's, there, there's, there's a lot of things that allude to the potentiality of it, especially why she was there in the first place. Exactly. Like, that's a long-ass walk to kill yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, who walks four fucking miles to go jump in front of a train? Like, that just seems like the most illogical conclusion that you could come to. But again, what do I know? I'm not a train detective. I'm not, you know, a medical examiner, but like there are people questioning this. And if they're questioning it then and they're professionals, then I have every reason to question it just as much as they did. Right. And I, and I think too that, and we've, we lightly traverse this during one of our podcasts before, but a parent's intuition. Yeah, they know. Right. But to answer your previous question, they never did a rape kit analysis on her and did no DNA testing on items recovered from the scene at all. <sighs> So they would have never have known if she was even raped or not because they never did a swab of her vaginal area. Unreal. Vaginal area. I'm sorry. I mispronounced the word. Still. I'm, I'm pissed off, so I'm not even, like, apologizing in a funny way right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, to even well. Con- to, to know that that part was left out, too. Now, now my, my other inquiry regarding the conductor, you, you said there was something regarding that, too? Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. I'm not there yet. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> A separate lawsuit challenging the medical examiner's ruling was dismissed, according to court records, but the new suit seeks to compel New Jersey Transit Police to release DNA swabs and personal items that may have contained blood and other biological evidence so that the family can commission another lab to perform testing. But later on, in March 2018, after the state medical examiner Andrew Falzon agreed to review the case, he said no fingerprint analysis was done on Tiffany. There were no dental records checked, no DNA conducted on her body, no microscopic analysis of her organs were done, which would have identified it to actually be Tiffany Valiante so there was no evidence that it was even her. He also concluded... Oh, yeah. He also concluded that no radiography was done. What was that? Radiography. They use it to rule out possible gunshot wounds. So they didn't even do that in case there was any gunshot. Nobody even knows there was gunshot wounds. She wasn't tested for gunshot residue either. Mm Mm-hmm. Even with this analysis, he still decided to leave the manner of death unchanged. He quoted, My examination supports the investigation's original conclusions that the manner of death be deemed a suicide. He wrote in a letter to D'Amato, which he shares with the Daily Beast, As the state medical examiner and as a parent, please extend my condolences to the Valiente family for their tragic loss. I feel like he was questioning it and then he recanted and redid the I mean maybe he looked at it and from his medical standpoint did conclude that he agrees with the first conclusion but I feel like it could also be that he might have felt pressured by state officials too to protect New Jersey Transit. Well big corporations they have the ability to quash things and do what they must to maintain their reputation in spite of incompetence and and lack of procedural protocol. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm not, we, I'm not accusing in a anybody. Lot of cases. Let me get that straight. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, so I don't want to hear that. Like, I actually said that that was a thing because I'm not. I'm saying that it's not uncommon for that kind of stuff to happen. In no way am accusing anyone of doing any of these things. I just have suspicions about the motivations behind some of these some of these rulings. Right, especially when you incorporate the fact that they weren't done properly procedurally. They weren't handled well at all. No, no. I've I have so many questions about that because he originally thought that it couldn't be determined. So I don't know like like I said if there's pressure from the state to agree or if he just changed his mind, but re- the retired medical examiner Donald Jason stated it is my opinion within reasonable medical certainty that the cause of death of Tiffany Valiente was undetermined. With no cause of death known and no manner of death, natural or unnatural, can be determined. The story that the victim jumped on two tracks is suspect. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm no specialist, but I agree with Donald Jason. Because even though you can't see exteriorly if there had been a murder, it is possible that she was hit over the head with the axe, then thrown onto the tracks alive, hit by the train, and then rolled a suicide. Her body was so mangled that I believe that it would have been impossible to see it as a murder unless she was strangled or killed with a gunshot or water. I don't want to get gory or anything, but her body was in pieces. Her organs were quoted on the medical examiner's report as exploded from her body. So really, how could you say definitely that it was a suicide if a possible blow to the head could be mistaken for the impact of the train? Well, I mean, too, it was following an insignificant family debacle. And then, you know, it didn't, she was allegedly completely sober and she was she walked four miles in the black of woods on her own volition and then you know that gave you enough time four miles is a long time to surmise something that would be a petty or insignificant family resolvable family this is an athlete this is yeah. a, this is a somebody who takes care of themselves physically and she's in college so she's mentally and physically seemingly i don't want to have too much of a preconceived idea of how she is but if she's mentally and she's physically capable then it, and she's sober and a petty insignificant family occurrence happens i can't imagine that a four mile walk wouldn't be and the woods wouldn't be enough to like surmise and get that out of your system just doesn't seem realistic that somebody who has a good head on her shoulder a career to a future career as an athlete a godmother of two children that you know it, it's a lot to be a godparent especially at that age oh yeah i mean they she was thought high of, highly of and and she was com- you know she was sober it's crazy how they knew that she was sober though yeah but they didn't but they didn't know if she was raped you know exactly by a train so that was the <laughs> donald jason mm-hmm. said in my career I've done it between 10,000 and 20,000 autopsies and probably a hundred or so involved people being hit by trains. So it was unlikely that she had been hit by a train. Jason said that he finds it very improbable that Tiffany walked four miles to end her life when there were closer and easier ways to do it, Mm -hmm. like jumping in front of a vehicle, perhaps in the darkness. But that New Jersey Transit was very happy to just call it a suicide because they were off the hook. A death on the tracks due to negligence can 
trigger an increased oversight, large fines, and possible criminal charges. Tiffany's parents, Diane and Stephen Valiante, believe Tiffany was murdered and thrown onto the tracks to conceal the killing. They have an ongoing that's, lawsuit. That's exactly where my mind went. Right? That's, it's like, it's that. yes, that's exactly what I, there were two hypotheses that I had, and that was the first one. Oh, well, there's more, and I'm going to give you some more, and when you hear this whole story, I want to hear your theory. Okay. So they're, they have an ongoing lawsuit and are seeking information about their daughter's case. D'Amato Law Firm has a website titled Justice for Tiffany Valiante, and you can contact them for any information about the case. I will post a link in the show notes because they are offering a $20,000 reward for information about her death. And sometimes that can cause problems because people want the money and they don't give the proper information. So if you do have information, make sure it's real information and don't, you know, clog up the inbox with a bunch of BS just because you want some cash. BTW. Right. I think Mm -hmm. it's more probable that she was running away from somebody and trying to escape, Dr. Jason said. So I would call that either an accident or a homicide, but definitely not a suicide. In my report, I concluded that it's probably safest just to call it undetermined because we don't have the facts yet. They never really fully investigated anything other than suicide. There are many reasons why I think that it's probable that she was running away from somebody. So let's revisit the night of her death because I believe the devil is in the details. Tiffany spent the morning in May's Landing at a family's home. She left for a few to get a drink at the local Wawa. Around noonish, Tiffany and her parents went to her cousins for a graduation party from the Holy Spirit High School in Absecon, which is nearby. There were people coming and going all day, and her family said Tiffany was excited about college and was talking to people about a plan. Her and her two half-sisters had to pick up a kitten for their mom for a week or so later as kind of like a birthday surprise. Mm -hmm. Around 9 p.m., things started getting a little weird. A close friend of Tiffany's called her parents and told them that she needed to speak to them in person. So they went home to meet this girl. The girl showed up at Tiffany's parents' house at approximately 9.15 with her mother in tow. They told a Tiffany's mother, Diane, that Tiffany had used her debit card and had stolen $300 to buy clothes and food. The Valiante family said it was only $86 and that it was corroborated by the receipts that they found in Tiffany's room. Steve and Diane called Tiffany's cell phone within two minutes. She had shown up at the house. According to a civil deposition transcript obtained by the Daily Beast, Diane defended Tiffany, saying that she had no reason to use her friend's card since... They had given her a credit card. And apparently shocked by the accusation, Tiffany, who had been caught by her parents taking money from their bank account a few months earlier, asked her friend how she thought that she could ever steal from her and flatly denied it all. At 9.34 p.m., Tiffany's friend drove off with her mother. Once they were gone, Diane began to search Tiffany's car and she witnessed Tiffany slip that card into the back of her back pocket. That's when Diane went back into the house to get Steve. But Tiffany was gone by that time and Diane called the friend and told her Tiffany ran away. So the friend came back to the house and the two girls who knew Tiffany started looking for her. Diane disagrees that she used the term ran away, but the deposition says otherwise. That particular night, it was pitch black. And like I said, in May's Landing, it's a very quiet town. It's heavily wooded and it's in the Pine Barrens. But guess what? Tiffany had nyctophobia, which is is a a debilitating fear of the dark. Was she diagnosed with this? Uh, I guess so, because they had a diagnosis that she actually had a phobia. Well, how do you spell how do you spell that? That's something I'd like to look into, although it is far from anyone I know having that. It's just interesting. I've never heard of this before. 
N-Y-C-T-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. And that's a legit fear of the dark, huh? An yep. actual prognosis for somebody who Yes, has it is. Wow. That's, yeah. That's, so four miles in, in the dark with that disorder must have been absolute hell for her. Yeah, because it's very unlikely she would run into the darkness. And Diane and Steve searched the area by car. Tiffany's half-sisters and her uncle were looking around in the woods on quads. It was 11 p.m. when Steve spotted Tiffany's cell phone in the brush near the end of the driveway. She'd even used her phone in the shower, so it was odd that she would leave it behind. Even out of a fit of anger, sadly, by the time they found her phone, she was already dead. She was struck by the train heading from Philadelphia to Atlantic City and a nearly isolated part of the woods. The apprentice engineer was Marvin Oliveris. He had been working with New Jersey Transit for a little over a year and he was in control that night. He told police that she was standing on the train near the Tilton Road in Galloway Township but did not move when the train's engineer sounded the horn and applied the emergency brakes. Problem with the statements given by the conductors of the train that night is that they were inconsistent. Another version Oliveris gave was that Tiffany had darted out from the woods and ran onto the tracks which she was hit. So the same gentleman said that she was standing there and didn't move in one sentence and then in another said that she darted in front of the train. Yep, and then in another version... Three? Oh, yeah. <laughs> From Olive- the same man. Yeah, wow. by Oliveris, too. Again, he didn't see Tiffany until the train was right on top of her, is what he quoted as saying. And another version was that Oliveris had spotted her from a half a mile away, crouched along the side of the tracks. She then stood up and dove in front of the train. Daniels also gave a conflicting account of what had happened that night. He said that he instructed the apprentice engineer to blow the horn and ring the bell as he put the train emergency brakes on. But when he was put under oath, Daniels admitted that he had his back to the cab while chatting with his conductor and never rang the bell. And the black box confirmed that. What is a black box? You know, like uh, in, in planes and, and trains, they have a, it's called a black box. It's what it is, is it's like a fireproof box so that if a train was to crash or a plane was to crash, that it wouldn't get incinerated and that they would mm-hmm. be able to see the video footage from the train or or the plane after the fact. So the suicide theory wouldn't have been too far-fetched. However, because it was learned that Tiffany had been having issues leading up to her death that still could have been a suicide, but her mother thought that these were typical teenage problems. Diane and Tiffany had been fighting and bickering often, so much so that Child Protective Services had paid three separate visits to the home. A teacher noticed bruising on her arm and Diane admitted to causing the bruise. She said that she punched her daughter after an argument and the caseworker recommended counseling and they both attended. Tiffany's grandfather died and she started skipping class and smoking some of that ganja. She took some money from Diane's bank account right before Christmas and they had trouble communicating at the therapist's official assessment was that the pair enjoyed a stable family relationship. While speaking with the therapist, Tiffany said that she wasn't depressed or suicidal. They closed the case though after Diane acknowledged not being able to move on from the incidents and that she would seek independent support if needed and the case was closed. Six months before she died Tiffany came out as gay. She was dating a woman from Philadelphia but it wasn't working out so they amicably ended things and she started dating a girl she met online. Her parents were accepting of her sexuality but didn't believe that it was anything more than a phase. There are also rumors floating around school about Tiffany's behavior 
in the months leading up to her death. Some of the other girls in school wanted to experiment with her, which may have upset certain girls and also certain guys, one person said. Mm-hmm. which makes you think a bit as to the homophobia element from the other students. One classmate said that she had been acting differently for a couple of months before she died and that she had been feeling distant from her parents and that she was lonely. Another said that she had heard that Tiffany texted a friend the night of her death in a cryptic message that said, just answer yes or no, should I do it? Another student even said that Tiffany was popular and well-liked and she put on a brave face, but still she never felt like she could fit in and felt sad about life in general and insisted that she never talked about suicide before. A couple of Tiffany's friends told investigators that she had harmed herself by cutting her wrists and legs two times. One said she was depressed and that she might have had an untreated mental illness that may have played a part. Her parents, however, did not agree with the statements, but said that they were willing to accept that if their daughter had committed suicide, but they really ultimately were not buying that she committed suicide. Mm -hmm. After the state were given the day Diane found Tiffany's shoes, she also found a keychain that didn't belong to her daughter and a sweatshirt 15 feet away that was also not her daughter's, which could be possible evidence that there was another person there, but police lost the keychain before it could be analyzed. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seems like they're losing a lot of evidence here. Mm-hmm. It seems like yeah, too it. much of a coincidence that they're losing and everything. The, and, and the evidence that they've obtained uh, wasn't stored properly, so I mean, even... Uh, unbelievable. I mean, I feel like that's common sense, though, because even when you put a piece of bread in a plastic bag, it gets moldy. Yes, yes. So, like, I would assume that if you're storing evidence evidence that has biological material on it and it's wet. What kind of lab is this? You would think that they have a really strict and rigorous 2015 protocol for any labs at that point. Well, I feel this like is not that they were giving ago. out applications at the local, <laughs> you know, I don't even want to say because it it's going to sound offensive, but. <laughs> Can you breathe? Yes, you're hired. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I could feel it coming. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, is it's, it's not like, you know, I, I just can't help but empathize more with the parents. And, you know, I know that Diane, it seems like they, you know, she was physically abusive and maybe she had some psychological issues and things like that and but I still believe that even with all of that that Tiffany was able to get to a good point in her life with her parents involved without any mention even with all of that counseling of any suicidal ideation which by the way most teenagers admit to I know and I I don't think that the her mom like freaking out hitting her like once or twice is like that big of a deal I, I mean I don't like agree that at least you punch your kids and stuff but like when I was growing up like my mom she was kind of she did fuck, some, some fuck crazy around shit, and you know? five, Fuck around and find out. She would have no problem <laughs> smacking me in the face or throwing a glass at my head if I was acting up, you know what I mean? But Right, but that doesn't mean it was the overtone, the overtone of everything. And they did the right thing by going to counseling. Yeah, they did. I mean, and, we never went to counseling, me and my mom. So, like, we had to work our shit out the old-fashioned way. Right, and the mother said that that's, in fact, what she would do, that it was an unresolvable issue, but that they, you know, they would work through it and that they tried to use therapy to work through it so 
Exactly. I mean, again, again, for the, her to not disclose having any suicidal ideation at that age really may. I mean, I know people who pretend to have suicidal ideation, so I can't even imagine that in a in a time where people are very liberal about that concept. Exactly. That she, it, it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like a suicide to me. Not not any of it, really. Me either. I don't really feel like it is either. And and this is why a Wawa manager came forward after he claimed to overhear a group of teenage boys talking about Tiffany having been kidnapped at gunpoint humiliated and forced to strip down to her underwear and driven to a train station by her abductors. They claim the three boys spoke to him about things that they heard in reference to the Valiante incident too. He gave his transcript in November of 2016 under oath at the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office. Oh, wow. The manager said the boys told him that Tiffany's friend had been incredibly upset about the stolen debit card and after Tiffany stormed off from her house, the friend called someone who came by and picked her up in a truck with an unidentified guy. From that point, Tiffany was led to her death on the train tracks, but because the manager's story wasn't accurate about where the incidents occurred, they found holes in his stories, especially knowing that they were third-hand stories, i.e. hearsay, pretty much. But right, uh, it didn't like go the anywhere. telephone hearsay as well. Third-hand is pretty nosebleed. Yeah, but that, to me, sounds like a real likely story, because because she didn't have her shorts on and they were found like a, a mile from her home and that means she would have walked three miles barefoot with no pants on so before this 2000 in the dark six before this 2016 testament were was the information regarding her not having those things on public no i don't think okay. it was i don't think it was public okay they just deemed it okay. a suicide you know and then people started coming forward when their parents started you know trying to they, they put lawsuits into effect but i don't really think they were looking for money and I, and I think that was well, what was uh, reported in the papers. And when they, when they like released some of the information and, and, you know, it was known because they did an expose on it, I think that people started coming forward. But he's saying that he heard this, like he heard them over, like over talking. Right. Well, earlier in this conversation, when you and I were discussing the potentiality of it feeling like it could have been a, a rape or something of that nature. It was based on, you know, the 2015 to 2018 ideas that and, and records that you collected. And if this happened in 2016, I wonder how much of that information was read, readily available. And if this gentleman came to the same conclusion that you and I did with said information and then went and testified to those things, or if he just went in there, had no preconceived notion whatsoever of what was going on and still had those things to say, because that would make a world of a difference regarding whether I believe what he's saying or not. Well, I feel like we'll never really know because the police interviewed the three boys that the manager told police about, but they said that those tales were outlandish and that each one had airtight alibis. Okay. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. So the Atlantic County Prosecutor's Office deemed that the manager was credible, but didn't have enough evidence to bring the case to grand jury. So what I'm hearing mm -hmm. is that they had alibis, but the prosecutor's office still thought it was suspicious and that they knew that the manager was a credible person. And maybe the boys were making up a story to seem cool or something, or that they had some kind of insider information, or maybe they actually were involved, but they didn't have any evidence to bring it to a grand jury to try to like 
figure out if these boys were involved or not. Mm -hmm. So it says here, while we strongly believe that she was murdered, the complaint allows for the possibility that the co-conspirators did not intend to kill her, but that their violent actions still resulted in her death. That's what D'Amato, the family's lawyer, said in 2017. One way or another, they were responsible for her being on the railroad tracks, and they must and will be held accountable for their... The unconscionable, I don't even know if I said that right, conduct, period. <laughs> Oy vey. Her parents believe that their daughter was murdered and that she was thrown onto the tracks. The medical examiner still will not change the manner of death to undetermined to bring justice for the family. The lawyer, however, you know, still has that $20,000 cash reward again, and if anybody has information. But this case is... is is really sad because it, there's a plethora of reasons why it's really sad but i feel like the way that this case came to you opened a can of emotional worms well it did and i was actually going to get back into that again but i didn't want to repeat myself a second time because i just felt it was like not conducive to the rest of the story but i am a big believer in fate and destiny and how many true crime podcasters just happened to see a case staring them right in the face like that like it that, wasn't that on the invoked, news it was on somebody's front lawn exactly i know that invoked a lot of intrigue within myself and you told me that happened yeah and i became very superstitious in that way you know aside from the weird supernatural superstitious shit i have actual theories <laughs> I read somewhere that her feet were clean. I did not find this in the medical examiner's report, but somebody had mentioned it online that her feet were clean during the first um, autopsy. And not possible without shoes in the rough terrain. The axe with what it what looked like blood on it near the scene of the possible crime, her body being too mangled to determine if it was blunt force trauma. To me, it screams that it's entirely possible that someone beat her and hit her with the axe and then threw her on the tracks to die, or that she was already dead when they threw her onto the tracks. Also, getting from point A to point B just to throw yourself in front of a train doesn't seem viable to me. Mm -hmm. What it sounds like to me is that someone picked her up in a car or truck like they thought and took her to that spot. Again, clean feet. And I can't corroborate if the feet were actually clean because, I mean, her body was so mangled. I couldn't imagine them being clean. So I, I really don't even know if that's true information. So I'm not going to say that's a fact. But no rape kit was done. And her torso was found without shorts. So it's possible that the manager had it right. That someone picked up Tiffany and stripped her down to humiliate her and possibly raped her or whatever and murdered her. But we would never know because they didn't do a rape kit. And it is very possible that the friend knows more about this, but nothing's for certain. Because, you know, the friend was very involved in the funeral, the with the family and everything. So, like, I, I would never accuse somebody of being involved but it just seems a little odd that like right after that particular fight she she just disappeared like that and ended up four miles away it just it just seems coincidental but like i said i i'm not accusing anybody of anything i'm just saying it's a theory it doesn't have anything behind it because there's no evidence and, and i would never slander somebody's character and i'm not going to name the girl on here either because that's I, could, I would never do that. So, But another theory I've been toying with is the idea that maybe she was fleeing her captors. 
and ran into the train by not like looking around her and she was just like maybe she got out of the vehicle and ran Mm -hmm. and then just happened to get struck by the train because it was going to 80 miles an hour and she was just trying to get away from somebody it could have struck her but you know i i don't know what do you think um i agree with a couple of your theories but in, in totality Because of the fact that there had been four different stories regarding um, the emergency brakes, her diving in front of it, her standing still, those continuities make it impossible for us to believe anything that the conductor or the train that was heading from Philly to Atlantic City had to say about it. So that, that weighs out any believability in that regard. And because the evidence was so poorly handled, it makes it almost impossible to have a viable opinion whether or not, you know, she'd been murdered or not. So I can only surmise that in 2015, when people had a more progressive take on being gay, I mean, at this point, um, an evolved state of what gender are we? And, and of course, I know that with, with what's been happening in the past year, with all those, um, you know, political debacles that you and I cover in our pastime, that there's still some primitive mindsets regarding those things. But there we're still in the are. Northeast. We're in, yeah, but we're in the Northeast, and we're in 2015, and in up, up here, it is one of the more acceptable places to be gay, and there was no, there was allegedly no suicidal ideation. But hypothetically, the fight with the mom was enough, and that her trials and tribulations regarding her not feeling like she didn't fit in were enough, and that deep down inside she was hiding this innate sense of suicide. I can't imagine what the phobia that she had that she would decide to jump in the woods and and walk for four miles to her death. That just doesn't seem probable. Yeah, without shoes on and without pants on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I do believe that it's possible she was either violated in the woods and brought there, or perhaps, you know, she was running from those who violated her and it took her there. Or actually, finally, and this one's a a little um, less substantiated, but maybe she was violated in the woods a few miles and it was overwhelming for her and she impulsively jumped in front of the plane after that had happened something had to rattle her out of her norm to make it so that she would go against a phobia that she would go that far into the dark of wood and soberly no less and especially after a day of you know kitten hunting and parties and and things that, you know, I would think would be way more substantial in a situation she had with a mother who she's already had plenty of other situations with. Yeah, so not only I that, but she was does... going to college. So she wouldn't exactly. even have really been around her parents anymore. So that just doesn't, it really doesn't seem viable to me either. No, I don't think that suicide feels right at all. It is, un- it's, it's an absolute tragedy how the evidence was handled. And it's sad. It's really sad for the parents who, as we you stated earlier, may have had that guilt remorse. Can you imagine getting into even a slight bicker with your child and they leave and they were 
after an hour wondering where she went. So they instinctively felt bad, and to have to have someone identify their child as, as being no longer breathing, whether it was a suicide or whether it was a murder, that's just, that's overwhelming. And I, I, my heart goes out for the parents completely, especially having with having a daughter that age in college yeah. right I now. Um, I couldn't imagine being in her mother's shoes, and and really, I feel so bad for Diane. But I am glad that they hired somebody to look further into this. It's very the fact that it is so inconclusive, and that they have the knowledge, no doubt, that you and I have that this was so mishandled. I, it's it's just a tragedy all the way around, and it just leaves for so many potentialities. Unfortunately, there are none that can be solidified. But my instincts are that it doesn't feel like a suicide to me, and that something had to perpetuate the urge for her to go that far out of her way and that maybe that manager whether his testament was credible or not i think that his testament is a viable situation that could have occurred far more so than what they weighed out to be a suicide i think yeah me too i think even if he's wrong he's on the right track yeah, like, I just feel like, and no pun intended there, I, I really hope that Tiffany's family gets justice for her and that maybe this podcast will help somebody come forward. And I know that we're insignificant in the grand scheme of the universe, but I really do think that like just putting it out there in any way, shape or form, any of these cases, that if somebody comes forward, like I feel good that, you know, maybe we did something to help somebody, you know, mm -hmm. and after seeing this girl and what potential that she had, it really, it really broke my heart. And it also broke my heart for the family of Tiffany, because I know what it's like to fight with my mom and how you never want to leave someone angry because it could be the last time that you see them. Yes. In the years following her death, the family erected a small hut on a concrete patch by the train tracks where Tiffany died. And inside, it's decorated with pictures of Tiffany, benches set up for visitors to sit and remember her, and a small radio plays nonstop powered by a portable generator. Steve constructed a sculpture that he made out of two large tree trunks that says, Tiffany, we love you so very much. And he laid out plaque in the backyard and the garden, and it reads, rooted in love forever in our hearts. And Diane said, they didn't think the family was going to fight, but they thought we would give up. Kudos to her, because Diane's like a, she's a fucking badass. Diane is out there hauling ass trying to make somebody pay for this, and I believe that she's right. I mean, somebody had to have heard something or seen something where it can't be corroborated with alibis. I mean, there's got to be something that somebody knows. It's better to, to say something and, and help somebody than it is to hold that in inside and, like, leave a family worrying for the rest of their life. I understand the police's aspect of it, too, because if the medical examiner leaves a death as a suicide and won't change it to undetermined, then they don't get the funding that they need to investigate it as a homicide. So they have to do it on their own time with limited resources. Because the, sh the police did such shitty fucking police work, I can't even wrap my mind around kind of feeling bad for them in this instance. Even though I do understand how the system works, I, I was just like appalled at how poorly this was handled. You know, it's it's interesting because we don't know their dynamics and what they entailed. And not to mention the fact that it's actually brave of you to to make such a testament regarding oh, yeah, I'm, gonna target, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> yeah. target on my back 
It ain't the first time. It ain't going to be the last time. <laughs> exactly. But, but my, again, I was going to say, and I didn't mean to really interrupt you, but to in conclusion, I am in my feels for Diane, and I hope that um, at the very least, if she doesn't receive justice, she'll receive closure, and that somebody will come forward with evidence or, you know, God willing that the person who did it comes clean. I'm hoping somebody, I'm hoping somebody rats his fucking ass out, whoever it is. I hope they get ratted out so hard and that they end up spending a lot of time in prison. So that's the story of, and the mystery of Tiffany Valiante. Reach out. Resource, yeah. I got, it's on South Jersey Lawyer Justice for Tiffany Valiante case at um, DomatoLawFirm.com. Go on there if you have information, see if you could submit it somehow. And see if you stay safe out there. Yeah, man, stay safe out there and don't get in those cars with weirdos. We're going to end it here with the mystery of Tiffany Valiante. And we love you guys. And if you want to um, let us know, you know, if you like our show or not, you can hit us up at, or you could go on our Facebook page at Rogue and Wicked. Uh, We also have a TikTok that's also listed as Rogue and Wicked. And. If you have any case suggestions or if you just want to send us a story or something, you know, if it's cool enough, I might do the case and read it on air. Peace out. We'll see you guys next week. Mm